This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Home invasion attempt caught on video. Just loud bangs, really loud bangs. A terrifying armed encounter that left a Campbell River family shaken. Plus, boosting Halloween decorations. She managed to get the stuff, but she just came, ripped it out of the ground and walked away with it. The maddening sight under the cover of darkness and the homeowner's plea to the perpetrators. And not your average athlete. Something I'm going to have to be careful of during the race, this dry air. Nearly 400 kilometers start to finish the extraordinary North Vancouver Trail Runners Quest. I slept uh, 45 minutes three times. His wild story of endurance and perseverance. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning new details about a frightening home invasion attempt in Campbell River earlier this week. It happened in the middle of the night, leaving police asking for help identifying the suspects and the homeowner trying to figure out why she was targeted. Grace Key reports. <laughs> A terrifying night for a Campbell River woman after a failed home invasion, and it was all captured on home security. In the video, you can see what appears to be two men and a woman trying to kick down the door. Just loud bangs, really loud bangs, and I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on. Shortly after 4 o'clock Wednesday morning, Janet Mitchell woke up to loud bangs. At yeah. first, she thought it was her brother, but then heard noises outside and saw three people leaving. I just yelled at them to get the, out of my yard and um, one of them turned around, he had something in his hand and he kind of went like at me like what are you going to do about it um, and I'm like ooh maybe that wasn't a smart thing to do and I moved away from the window um, and then we called the police. After a few failed attempts, the three decide to leave. Janet thought one of the suspects was holding on to a crowbar, but after taking a closer look at the video, she was alarmed to see he was actually holding a gun. She even found a bullet on the ground. What we're looking for right now is anybody that may recognize the individuals that can give us a positive identification uh, of the individuals there. Um, there's also some other components that we're looking for right now. Anybody in the area that may have video that caught the street at the time uh, so we can determine if there was a vehicle involved. And it's a better deadbolt than I used to have and then I... Janet has replaced her door with more secure locks. Police say there were no other incidents that evening that they're aware of. And now Janet wonders if she was the intended target. There's nothing assuming about my house. There's nothing indicating that there there's stuff here and there isn't. I, there's just there's no drugs in my house. There's there's just nothing for anybody to want here. Janet posted the video on social media and has gotten some tips on who could have tried to break into her home. Grace Key, Global News. 
Global News has learned an investigation is underway after bullets were fired into the way station building near Hope. On Sunday afternoon, the building appeared to have multiple bullet holes in the window. The Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure says the station on Highway 1 just west of Hope was closed when the incident happened last night. The ministry is working with the RCMP and says it has taken steps to increase safety precautions for staff but is unable to elaborate further. One person was taken to hospital after an early morning crash in Burnaby. It happened around 3.20 this morning on Willingdon Avenue near Still Creek Drive. A northbound Mercedes carrying three people collided with a southbound Hyundai carrying two people. The driver of the Hyundai was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police believe impairment may be a factor in the crash. Witnesses and anyone with dash cam video recorded in the area between 3 and 3.30 a.m. are asked to contact Burnaby RCMP. In just nine days, send goblins will invade our streets searching for tasty treats. At countless homes across the region, decorations are already up. But for one Vancouver resident, thieves have been getting up to dirty tricks. Cassidy Moscone reports. 3 a.m. Friday morning, Fairmont Street, East Vancouver. A Halloween thief is at work. She just came ripped it out of the ground and walked away with it. And a giant inflatable decoration disappears into the darkness. Got out and I said, like, what the hell's going on here? And standing looking and I realised that a whole dragon's gone. Ted Copeland has been decorating his house for two decades. It's an expensive hobby. Each inflatable cost him hundreds. Kind of a thing to honour my mum, who used to do all the decorating and stuff when we were kids. So much not very nice stuff going on in the world. It's nice to have something where people can come and just make people happy. And that, 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 that's, you know, that's what I try and do. Caught on camera in the act, he's hoping the thief comes forward. Come on, man, you're stealing, from, you're stealing happiness from little kids at, at Halloween. I mean, honestly, you need to really take a look inside yourself and see what kind of person you truly are. One decoration might not seem like a lot in all of this, but for Ted, it's the principle. He says this one incident won't stop this decades-old tradition. When someone gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So we got a new one we're going to put up. Let's see. There we go. Is it going to work? It's there going we up. Go. <laughs> no thief can dampen the spooky spirit. There we go. Cassidy Moscone, Global yes. News. A celebration of life today for a woman who was killed on a flight shot down by Iranian military forces in 2020. Nagar Borgai was one of 176 people killed when Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 was shot down minutes after takeoff from Tehran. She had been visiting family in Iran and was on her way back to Canada along with her husband, sister-in-law and niece who also died in the crash. Organizers say the event is meant to show solidarity regardless of if you have a personal connection to the tragedy. I want to highlight the fact that human beings are interconnected and that if someone is struggling, their struggle is our struggle. I want to be able to raise awareness and empower every single individual in my community, locally and hopefully internationally, that no matter what your contributions are, you have an impact. 
Along with the celebration of life, a run for freedom also took place in support of the global Woman Life for Freedom movement. On October 21, 2017, the body of a young woman was found on a North Okanagan property. As Victoria Famia reports, however, to this day, six years on, the victim's family is still waiting desperately for answers. She doesn't have a life anymore. It's gone. It was taken away from her and at way too young an age. Six years with little to no answers. We know what we've been told about finding the body on the Segman farm, which, uh, you know, took a while because they had to make sure that was only one body there. The body of Darcy Martin's granddaughter, 18-year-old Tracy Jenneru, was found on Curtis Sagmowin's family farm in the North Okanagan on October 21st, 2017, five months after she was reported missing. Uh, the last time she was seen was getting into a van of some sort, which we have no information as well on that van. And, and that's the last she was seen was uh, May 29th, I believe, and found October 21st, her body uh, buried on the Sagamon farm in various different places. Police spent days scouring the farm on Salmon River Road for more evidence. But Sagmowin, who had already been convicted of assault and using a firearm, was never charged in connection with her death. No one ever was. Police, however, did confirm it was suspicious. Why is this investigation taking so long to hold somebody accountable for it? I question if I was living on a property all by myself and a body was found on my property, I'm pretty sure I'd be sitting in jail. As Martin deals with the immense heartache of losing her granddaughter six years ago, tragedy struck her family once again. Her daughter, Tracy's aunt, passed away in 2022. And this year, Martin's son passed away, Tracy's father. He will never get the outcome of what's happened with his daughter. So that's very, very sad that both of them, the world has not been kind to me last year, you know, so... Um, I try my best just to keep my head up. Martin continues to keep Tracy's memory alive. Her hope is one day justice will be served for the young woman that was taken far too early. She was uh, spunky, lively. She just loved to explore. There was nothing that she was afraid of. Oh, she was comical. Victoria Famia, Global News. Some disappointing news for poultry producers in the Fraser Valley this weekend. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says the H5N1 strain of the avian flu has been detected on a farm property near Chilliwax. The flu is usually spread through contact with another infected bird through its feces or mucus. It was first detected in Canada in 2021 and has infected 330 flocks since. Experts say despite farmers taking precautions, the discovery isn't a surprise. Farmers have been taking extra precautions for quite some time now. Uh, they have been trying to keep the virus out of their barns by doing things as simple as changing their shoes and clothing before they go in the barn, disinfecting equipment before and after use, um, and just uh, making sure that nothing outside can come into the barns. Um, unfortunately, this farm that was hit was um, a, a free-range farm, so the birds do go, do go outside. And uh... coming up, invitation to rush to the front. Let's go! Open it! 
The Lil Yachty concert canceled after safety concerns as fans refused to return to their seats. Plus, rallying against shipbreaking, the Vancouver Island protest calling on Ottawa for changes and the concerns to the ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. American hip-hop star Lil Yachty had his Vancouver concert shut down last night due to safety concerns. What do you mean? The show took place at UBC's Doug Mitchell Thunderbird Sports Center and lasted only a handful of songs. The rapper invited fans to make their way down into the arena's mosh pit. But after fans did not comply with stadium security's request to return to their seats, the show was cancelled. Global News has reached out to UBC for comment but has not heard back. Lil Yachty has also not publicly addressed the incident. Residents in Union Bay on Vancouver Island are renewing their calls to stop a shipbreaking operation in their community. Dozens of people rallied this afternoon. They're upset about a shipbreaking operation in Baines Sound where ships are beached and barges hauled up on the land in preparation for dismantling. They're calling on Ottawa to adopt tough new regulations around shipbreaking and they worry the aging vessels pose a threat to their health and the local ecosystem. They're full of asbestos, PCBs, uh, carcinogens, lead, cadmium, and you have to break them in proper contained facilities where they can control everything that goes into the, onto the land, into the water and into the air. We need policy and uh, to be honest, it's been, uh, we made the call two years ago to the feds. We, we roadmapped what policy, good policy could look like for the feds to have strong ship breaking policies. We haven't seen it yet. The owner of Deep Water Recovery tells Global News his company has not spilled into the environment and his company is in the process of being certified under an international ship breaking convention. Cities across the country are seeing their downtown struggle with empty shop fronts and boarded up windows filling our streets. In Prince George, the issue has become a chronic source of angst for local politicians. We get the story now from CKPG News. Several Western Canadian realtors are reporting increased vacancy rates in urban downtowns as businesses pull up stakes and move to the suburbs. Locally, EDI Environmental Dynamics left the downtown last year and there is no shortage of boarded up buildings. Prince George is no different than any other town in, in Canada here, We're just on a little different scale. And so when you look at it in, in different little areas, we have the same problems where um, it's hard for a business to consider going into an older building downtown, fixing it all up and then having to put uh, gates or bars on, uh, on the door just because of the, the environment around here. Councillor Garth Frizzell has been in civic politics for years and has noticed changes. When I started 15 years ago, we were looking at entirely different issues. The last 15 years, our municipal priority list is now top with homelessness, uh, mental health and addictions. Um, and those are areas where we, we struggle to get the support. Now, one of the positive 
factors is that we, we see some support from the provincial government now. The challenge is that all communities in B.C. and Canada are facing the same situations and are vying for that provincial and federal attention. Prince George is a small cog in that wheel. Many municipalities are citing street disorder as problematic, saying cities are unable to maintain public safety, and Bob Quinlan attributes that to a sign of the times. Certainly evident here on 3rd Avenue and on 2nd Avenue and Dominion, and, and you see other little pockets of areas um, uh, true, but that's just a symptom of the, the, the big problem right now. So And now we've got a large residential uh, population which is coming down to the downtown area, and a lot of that's going to affect, as we talked about, Parkwood, which is, is, is getting more places which are, are going vacant as well. But regardless, downtowns are suffering. It does affect your business. You know, the security uh, business is, is, is going bigger because more people are being hired and for those and not to try to be facetious. But right now it's difficult for to bring a family down, downtown and, and look at shop and such like that. He says there is definitely no silver bullet and housing may not be the end solution. Cheryl Jan, CKPG News. Coming up, no ceasefire on the horizon. The climbing death toll as Israeli strikes continue to pummel Gaza and the second round of humanitarian aid trickles into the region. Plus, what happens if I'm not accepted? Bureaucratic backlog, the nearly 100,000 refugee applications still in the queue and what Ottawa plans to do about it. Israeli airstrikes have ramped up significantly over the past 24 hours with hundreds of Palestinians killed in Gaza. It comes as more aid trucks have been allowed to cross the border from Egypt. But as Travis Prasad reports, it's nowhere close to being enough. Heavy explosions pummeling Gaza as night falls in the region. The Gaza Health Ministry says 266 Palestinians, 117 of them children, were killed by Israeli airstrikes in the past 24 hours. A day after Israel's military warned people in Gaza to move south for safety, Israeli forces leveled two mosques in a North Gaza refugee camp. This Palestinian saying in Arabic, the Israelis have also bombed a church. They don't differentiate between Muslims and Christians. The war, he says, is against civilians. In the West Bank, Israel defense forces hitting an apparent terror compound beneath a mosque in the city of Jenin. One person was killed. A resident says drone strikes hit the roof of the mosque twice, and thankfully more people weren't in the area when it happened. Also on Sunday, a case of friendly fire. The IDF says one of its tanks accidentally shot and hit an Egyptian post near the southern point of the Gaza Strip. The IDF expressing sorrow in a post on X, saying the incident is being investigated. Meanwhile, a second convoy has crossed the border heading for the Gaza Strip. More than a dozen trucks carrying medical and food supplies. 20 trucks entered Gaza on Saturday, but UN officials say at least 100 trucks a day would be needed to cover the urgent needs in the area. In the neonatal intensive care unit at this Gaza City hospital, 130 newborns are in incubators, but officials say the hospital fuel tanks are nearly empty and the incubators could lose power in just a few days. Also happening in Gaza, a funeral. For seven members of the same family killed in an Israeli airstrike. The Palestinian Health Ministry says airstrikes have killed more than 4,600 people since October 7th. Some 14,000 more have been injured. As the air attacks persist, Israeli forces are expected to enter Gaza on the ground as well. It's just a matter of when. Travis Prasad, Global News.
The Auditor General of Canada says the federal government needs to improve its management of immigration programs. Her new report finds that refugees are stuck in immigration processing delays stretching back almost three years. As Shagofa Danish tells us, it's created a permanent residency backlog. Amina Khabari is not an artist, but painting is a way for her to cope. So it helps me to you know, to, um, to distress. Khavari earned her master's degree in the U.S. and was planning to return home when the Afghan government collapsed two years ago. With her student visa expiring, she crossed into Canada as a refugee, beginning another challenging journey. I was carrying this fear all the time with me that uh, what happens if I'm not accepted. The Catholic Center for Immigrants helps refugees like Khavari resettle in Canada and navigate the many obstacles to starting over. Now it's becoming longer than before. Uh, now it's almost two years waiting for the hearing. I don't understand why, honestly. In a scathing report, Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan found there were 99,000 refugee applications still waiting to be processed in a department with higher workload and fewer staff. We found that most delays and backlogs were caused by the department's own processes. Immigration Minister Mark Miller says the government is taking action. We are opening a permanent residence online portal to refugees which will help accelerate that, but obviously the proof will be in the pudding. Khavari's refugee claim was approved, but she is now stuck in another backlog, waiting to become a permanent resident. Without it, she cannot visit her sick mother in Afghanistan. With my status, I'm not able to do anything for them. I feel myself like as a um, hopeless person, uh, to be honest. She has found some hope. Khavari has an apartment and a full-time job with the Catholic Center for Emigrants. I really wanted to give back and then help those refugees in need. By helping others, she is helping herself get through this difficult time. As she wades through a bureaucratic backlog, hopeful for a new life in Canada. Shugufadanesh, Global News, Ottawa. Still ahead, the incredible ultra-marathoner you have to meet. We'll introduce you to Jeff Pelche and his grueling regiment, training for a multi-day run through the desert. Getting your pet's microchips can help you find them quickly if they ever go missing. But today in the Fraser Valley, there was an added benefit to getting it done. <coughs> There's a police dog making himself heard outside the Town Line Veterinary Hospital in Abbotsford, where staff hosted their first ever Chips for Charity event. The public could get their dogs microchipped, with all proceeds going to support retired local police dogs. There is no government support for retired police and military canines. Because of the physically demanding work they've done, the dogs often require significant medical treatment. It leaves caregivers with some hefty vet bills. We see lots of uh, police service dogs in our veterinary practice, and it was, uh, it was a shock to me to find out that police service dogs aren't taken care of after they retire. And uh, we were trying 
to figure out a way to uh, support them in, in, in their retirement. They're a valuable tool that we've, we've uh, used uh, for a very long time and um, events like this allow us to uh, interact with the community and, and let, let the people know that uh, our dogs are, uh, you know, they're well trained and, and, uh, and they're friendly as well. Police dogs begin formal training at 14 months old and are typically retired between 8 and 12 years of age. And what a good cause for those cute little canines. All right, meteorologist Yvonne Shell joining us now. Yvonne, the dreaded <laughs> S word. <laughs> is approaching, yes, mm -hmm. snow, and it is going to be cooling off. Uh, I'll have the timeline, especially for areas that are in the interior. That's the big concern. For us across the south coast, it's a mainly cloudy sky this evening. A few isolated showers may be in the mix for tomorrow, but the big weather story will be falling on our Tuesday. And this weather maker that is going to move in along coastal areas with the combination of this cool Arctic air that is pushing in from the north to the south. So timeline for tomorrow. First off, a mainly cloudy sky, a few isolated showers. It'll be a bit breezy for areas that are closer to the water and near the Strait of Georgia. We could see some of those winds getting up to 30 kilometers per hour. Now, this is what we're watching for the interior. Monday afternoon, continuing in towards the interior and evening rather, and then intensifying through the day on Tuesday will be for snow. Now, the following areas included the southeastern corners of the province and along the mountain passes, and the timeline will be Monday afternoon leading in towards our Tuesday night. The potential is there to see anywhere between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Highway 3 for the Allison Pass included within that along the Coquihalla as well as the connector. So if you're traveling along any of these mountain passes, anticipate that snowfall intensifying, especially through the day on Tuesday. And higher elevations for us, we could see the potential for a few light flurries in the mix as well. But the big weather story will be for the interior with the snow event happening there. Now the northeastern corners of the province, a few isolated flurries. It is a cooler day and that cool air from the northern half will start to sink its way towards the south. We'll start to see that even along coastal areas, even in towards our Wednesday and Thursday. The southeastern corners of the province with a few flurries in the mix, but the heavier snowfall developing by the afternoon and then continuing through the evening hours on Tuesday. Along the south coast, we've got a mainly cloudy sky. The lower mainland, it'll be similar. We may see a bit more cloud cover. That'll be for eastern areas and extending into the Fraser Valley and temperatures will be cooler for tomorrow. Now, the blip in the forecast will be for our Tuesday. Very wet and windy by our Wednesday. We'll have plenty of sunshine in the mix. Temperatures will be up to 10 degrees, and then we'll look ahead towards our Thursday, Friday. Barry, you just walked in, and sometimes we look at that temperature at the freezing mark. And what do you say, Bear, to me? Cover your tomatoes? Yeah, well, it's getting late. It's getting late. The tomatoes are, my tomatoes are rotten. Okay, so this is the day that we're looking at with the okay. cooler temperatures. Barry, that'll be for Thursday and leading in towards our Friday. All right, Krista, back to you. Good that you keep that alive. Though. Yeah, yeah, right? we got to go either tomatoes or sunballs, and now we're into the cover your tomatoes. <laughs> cover your tomatoes. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> All right, a Vancouver trail runner has returned home after a second place finish in a grueling ultra marathon in Utah. Jeff Pelche ran the Moab 240, that's 386 kilometers, in under 71 hours. He started training in April and spent three weeks before the event living in the desert to prepare for the heat. During the race, he drank between 12 and 15 liters of water a day and only took three 45-minute naps, which paid off. So for most of the race, I was in maybe top 10, and then I finally found myself in the top five. Uh, but by the time I had about 70 miles left, I had found myself in second place and gunning for first. And for the final 
40 miles, there was maybe a mile that separated me in first place. And we pretty much just battled it out. And it was a sprint finish for the final 12, 13 miles. Uh, and in the end, I finished five and a half minutes behind first place, a mile behind after running 240. So a little bit heartbreaking, but I'm very excited with second place as well. Second place, not bad. Pelletier isn't ready to give up the crazy distances yet. The 42-year-old says he's planning for a 200-mile race next year. And he said that he was chasing the first guy, first place guy, for 70 miles. That's a long like time, that. especially in that terrain. I'd have to think, <laughs> man, he must have sore feet. Yeah. Oh, I have I'd sore say, feet I'd just say watching. bleeding, maybe. You're yeah, bleeding, bleeding, yeah. Blisters, right? Wow. Okay, no sore feet in uh, sports today, though. No, no, there is. Oh, there is. No, okay. Well, no. <laughs> I gather the Seahawks are uh, playing some football today. They, the last thing those guys are concerned about is sore feet. You've seen them hit in football. Seahawks home to Arizona, so we'll have the highlights of that in the complete uh, Sunday in the NFL. The Whitecaps completed their regular season last night. They know they're going to play LAFC. Now we know the dates of that best of three, so we'll fill you in on that. And uh, we could have a, our first World Series uh, team decided today, so we'll check in on some baseball coming up as Ooh, well. Ooh, it's a little tease. All right, mm -hmm. okay, thanks. Well, still ahead, slowly gaining her independence. The expensive power wheelchair not covered by government funding and how Variety and your donations made all the difference in seven-year-old Amara's life. Mara is fully dependent on others for every aspect of her life, including activities of daily living and mobility. Knowing their daughter needed to experience independence, Amara's parents tried to get her a power wheelchair that she could operate herself. The problem, though, the safety features Amara needs on her new chair are not covered by the government, leaving her family with a funding gap of several thousands of dollars. Are you thirsty? Seven-year-old Amara was born with a visual impairment as well as trisomy 18, a genetic condition that causes physical growth delays. It affects her muscle tone, her hearing, and the curvature of her spine. Amara uses a manual wheelchair for her mobility, and as helpful as it is, it also creates a few challenges for her. It doesn't give her independence in the sense that she gets to move herself through her world and make choices on where she's going to go. We do a lot of communication in what she likes to do and we try to work with that as well, but it's very difficult when we're the only ones that get to decide that for her. In order to gain that sense of independence, Amara's family applied to Variety for a grant to help cover the cost of an expensive power chair for their daughter, one that would put her in the driver's seat. This is all about her and her decisions and her pace and what she wants to explore. Because of Amara's condition, she needs to have a power wheelchair equipped with additional features that are not covered by government funding. So with Amara's chair, we've had some add-ons like the, um, joy the joystick that she gets to use to operate it. That's great for her to be able to have that um, direction and choice but she also needs some safety added to that, which the um, control panel allows us to have. So when we're going out, or if she's with her workers at school, um, she can guide herself, and then if it's going to be an unsafe space that she's entering, or if she's veering off track, then we can redirect it, and that wasn't covered. 
that was thousands extra that we just don't have as a family to be able to come up with in the time that she needs to start growing into her new chair. Kids like Amara need your help so they can experience the gift of freedom. And Amara needs your help right now. Each day she has to wait to receive her new chair is a day where she misses out on crucial developmental time. Any delay in getting the equipment that she needs could mean physical or developmental delays where she already has those challenges, which if you don't meet that developmentally when she's showing signs that she's ready for it, she may not get that back and she may stop trying. So we need to always be meeting her where she's ready so that she can continue to grow on her path. And you can help kids like Amara get the mobility devices they need and they can't wait any longer. Please call 310KIDS or donate online at variety.bc.ca. Still ahead, what Whitecaps coach Vanny Sartini has to say about his new contract plus NFL Sunday. With the Seattle Seahawks hosting the Cardinals at Lumen Field, Barry DeLay is back with your sports from around the league. a brighter future for ALS patients and their families. Support Project HOPE, an ALS Society of BC initiative which embarks on a journey of unprecedented hope for ALS research at UBC led by Dr. Pyro. Donate at projecthopealsbc.ca. We can all play a role to beat stroke. Join the global Greater Than Stroke online movement on World Stroke Day on October 29th. Visit heartandstroke.ca to learn the signs, the risk, and how to prevent stroke. Our BC is brought to you by Returnit Express. Got empty drink containers? Don't trash them. Make sure to hold on to them until you can return it for recycling. All right, sports now with Barry DeLay and the Seahawks uh, playing host to mm -hmm. the Cardinals. The Cardinals, yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Seahawks have been, they had a bye week and they've been on the road a bit, so it's been a while since the home fans have seen mm -hmm. them. Thanks, Krista. The uh, Seahawks probably should have won last week in Cincinnati, but twice they failed to score a touchdown in the red zone in the final minutes against the Bengals, and that snapped Seattle's three-game win streak. Today at Lumen Field, Hawks were expected to get back on the winning track against the 1-5 Arizona Cardinals and the Hawks uh, fans did have a lot to cheer about early. No DK Metcalf out with hip and wrist injuries, but the rookies filled in nicely. Geno Smith to a wide open Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Seattle's first round pick last spring. That's his first ever NFL touchdown. It got the Seahawks the early jump 7-0, but Arizona comes back. No Kyler Murray at QB. He's injured, but backup Joshua Dobbs. Pretty good athlete running all the way on this play. Goes in fairly easily. A 25-yard gallop. Arizona on top 10-7, but Seattle will respond. Geno Smith is going to go to the end zone for another rookie, Jake Bobo, who makes an absolutely fantastic catch in the end zone. Now, originally this was ruled incomplete, but Pete Carroll challenged, and Bobo somehow got both feet down his second touchdown of the year, 14-10 Seattle at halftime. Seahawks should have put this one away in the third, but they could only get a field goal on a first and goal from the one and the next time in the red zone. Gino with a poor decision picked off at the goal line. Arizona still in it and then more mistakes. Gino fumbles the snap. Arizona is going to recover this. Seahawks though fortunate the Cardinals offense is quite feeble and it did not cost them. Late in the fourth now up 10 Seahawks defense will sack Dobbs for the fourth time in the game. 
And that's it. It was awkward, but effective. Seahawks win 2010. They're now 4-2. They host Cleveland next Sunday. The Whitecaps ended up with a one-all draw last night in their regular season finale against LAFC at BC Place. And with that result, the same two teams will meet in the first round of the best of three MLS playoffs. Game one goes this Saturday in LA, a five o'clock start. Game two at BC Place, two weeks from today, November 5th at 4.30. If necessary, a game three back in LA Thursday, November 9th. Now, Vanny Sartini, who just signed a two-year extension last night to continue being head coach, feels these are two very evenly matched teams, and this series could go either way. I think we can go, literally, the sky's the limit, uh, to be honest. Uh, I think that if we go to the MLS Cup final, it's not a crazy thing. If we get eliminated, the first round is not a crazy thing because the, 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 the teams are so tight with each other that everything literally can happen. I think we did a, already a fantastic job qualifying without the play in, so having at least a game home. So I think that we need to go literally with less pressure ever and try to enjoy these next few weeks and try to uh, work uh, every time. Let's try to earn another week of work. Let's try to earn another two weeks of work if you're able to go. I have a very special relationship with this club, with this fans, with this city. They gave me the first opportunity to be a coach at a certain level. And they, the fans, they can know that uh, uh, we will give everything for them because we want to celebrate together. Everyone that I talk, staff, uh, media, you guys say, exciting for the, excited for the next two years, yes. But also I'm excited for the next few weeks. I'm excited because we need to bring this excitement because we can make something very special. And, uh, you know, and if we do something very special that time, I can cry again. So that's OK. <laughs> We love Vanny. Uh, Canucks practiced in Nashville today. They don't play the Predators until Tuesday, so I expect they will be checking out the honky-tonks there until then. Feeling good after a 5-3 win in Florida last night. Their record now 3-2 after Nashville. The Canucks come home to face the St. Louis Blues Friday night at Rogers Arena. Light night in the NHL tonight. Just two games, Flames and Red Wings from Detroit. Wings are off to a 4-1 start, and they came out flying tonight. Dylan Larkin, look at that shot. Zips a short side on Dan Vladar. 3-0 Detroit already. Flames finally get one. Some uh, good forechecking, and it's Andrew Mangiapane putting home the rebound to make it 3-1. Uh, but the Wings have some firepower. Alex Dabrinkat wanted out of Ottawa, and all he did today was fire a hat trick. He now leads the NHL with seven goals. Why not shooting like that? The Wings route the Flames 6-2. They're now 5-1. Calgary drops to 2-3-1. Western Hockey League, they just finished up at the LEC. Vancouver Giants with a 5-3 win over Spokane. And Prince George Cougars look like they're going to be one of the top teams in the West. They lead the Medicine Hat Tigers late in the second. Back to the NFL, Rams hosting the Steelers. Seahawks wouldn't mind some help from Pittsburgh if they could knock off the uh, NFC Division Rams. And they uh, did get it, Ashley. Down 17-10, Steelers tie it. Jalen Warren with a 13-yard TD run, 17-all. And then they... Uh, Take the ball down the field again on their next drive. And from three yards out, it's Najee Harris. 
24-7 Steelers. Rams now 3-4. Seahawks with a game-and-a-half lead on them in the NFC West. Chargers and Chiefs from Kansas City. Where's Taylor? Oh, there she is, OMG. And, and she's having a good time. Coming to watch her beau, Travis Kelsey, and he was pretty good. Somehow wide open on this play. Everyone knows that Mahomes is going to Kelsey, but it didn't matter. Uh, trying to go all the way for the touchdown here. Didn't quite make it, but a 53-yard gain. Taylor's loving it. Led to a touchdown. Chiefs took the lead 17-10. Then late in the half, same combination. Kelsey just using his brute strength to back his way into the end zone. Just gets across the goal line. It's a national tight end day, and it's uh, Kelsey is the best there is. His 50th career TD with uh, Mahomes. 12 catches, 170 yards for Kelsey and the TD. Taylor has a new touchdown dance. Chiefs win again, 31-17. They're 6-1. Buffalo Bills in Foxborough taking on the struggling Patriots, who are just 1-5. But... Belichick's squad had a 12-point lead on the Bills in the fourth until Josh Allen got busy, finds his favorite target, Stephon Diggs, makes the sliding catch. He was not touched down, so he gets up and then races in for the touchdown. What a heads-up play that was. Later, Allen would score on a one-yard quarterback sneak to give the Bills the lead. But in the final seconds, Patriots knocking on the door and Mac Jones to Mike Jasicki for the game-winning touchdown. Patriots shocked the Bills 29-25. Buffalo now 4-3, and, and it's career win number 300 for Bill Belichick, third all-time behind George Hallis and number one Don Shula. The 5-1 Detroit Lions at Baltimore, but it was all Ravens. First quarter already up 7-0. Lamar Jackson twisting and turning away from the pressure, making it look easy. Then fires the 12-yarder to Nelson Aguilar. 14-0 Baltimore in front. Lions are getting a lot of love to be a Super Bowl contender, but they got brought down to earth today. Jackson to his tight end, Mark Andrews, for his second touchdown of the game. Ravens mauling the Lions, 38-6. Both teams now 5-2. Baseball playoffs. Game 6 of the ALCS from Houston. Astros can book their ticket to the World Series with a win. Houston's been to four of the last six fall classics, winning twice including last year. They are up 1-0 early, but the Rangers tie it. Mitch Garver taking Framber Valdez deep. It's 1-1. And then in the fourth, Jonah Heim. Good hitting catcher. Two-run shot to right. This just clears the wall. 3-1 Texas. And that's the score right now in the sixth. The road team has won every game in this series so far, holding the form tonight. Formula One U.S. Grand Prix from Austin, Texas. Max Verstappen already has the driver title clinched for the season. He'd already won 14 races going into today. Started sixth on the grid, had some braking issues early. But he got to familiar territory. That's in front on lap 28. Slingshots past Lando Norris to get into the lead. And, hey, all you Yellowstone fans, it's uh, Rip, Cole Hauser, the actor. He gets to wave the checkered flag for the winner. And uh, as it has been for most of the year, it's Max Verstappen holding off Lewis Hamilton to get his 15th win of the year, tying the record he set last year. Verstappen is very good at spraying champagne. He's used to it. Canadian Lance Stroll got back into the points with a ninth place finish. Max Verstappen has wasted more champagne this year than most people drink in two lifetimes. I, <laughs> he should try to get it into he, some people's mouths. He's, he's getting bored with it because the winner always gets to do that. No so. one can catch him, nope. Max. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Right. Well, still ahead, it's a sweater that is iconic as it is popular and one with deep cultural and traditional roots. We'll take a look at the history of the Cowichan sweater. That's next.
This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. The Cowichan sweater has become an icon of coastal life. Now filmmaker Mary Galloway is taking an all-Indigenous crew on a trip through Coast Salish territory to shine a light on the hard-working knitters behind the Cowichan sweater. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. The Cowichan sweater is in part a personal journey for Mary Galloway. What truly is a Cowichan sweater? Her first shift away from narrative film and television was a learning experience at every turn. I had this idea of, oh, documentary will be easier than scripted for some reason, and it really wasn't. The film showcases creators of the iconic sweater, with the crew making close connections at every stop. The camera person or the sound person or the uh, photographer or whoever on this crew would be related to the knitter and they didn't know it and they just start talking. Who's your family? Oh, so-and-so. Who's your family? So-and-so. Celebrating the triumphs while also sharing the difficulties with international recognition leading to so many knockoffs. When we see a sweater like this, it would be natural to think it's a Cowichan sweater. But First Nations who knit them are not involved. There's been some hardships around that because uh, companies overseas have stolen designs and then started to mass produce and machine produce. Galloway's grandfather, the late Chief Dennis Alphonse, is honored when a replica of his sweater is gifted to his granddaughter. I can feel his embrace when I put on the sweater. I know he's there thinking about me. It's perfect. The experts of this craft. This debut documentary pays tribute to all the master knitters and their rich history on Vancouver Island. I really want this to be as a love story of Cowichan sweaters and Cowichan knitting. Precious, strong, resilient, creative, funny, and heartwarming people. It really meant a lot to me to be a voice for my nation and to help the knitting community thrive again. We're here to celebrate and we're here to Uplift. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And those sweaters are so iconic and so good to see some of the knitters behind. Mm -hmm. that They're thing. cozy looking. They really <laughs> you feel like you should be at a fireplace with them. <laughs> All right. And uh, it was a successful Variety Week here on Global BC. We heard stories of how Variety helps kids with therapies and orthotics and hearing aids, things that are crucial for kids to thrive and things that can be expensive for parents to afford without support. And that's why we're still asking you to call 310KIDS and make a donation to Variety so kids can just be kids. So the phone lines um, are still open. So if you have, you know, 5, 10, 20 bucks, Yeah, we'd appreciate donate. anything you can do. Yeah, okay. 310 kids, very easy. Okay, and a uh, quick word on the snow <laughs> that's coming in the interior. Higher elevations, be watching it uh, Monday afternoon in towards our Tuesday, and it's raining for us along the coast. All right, thanks so much. Have a good night.